the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The WLCC, Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Download the Faith Talk Tampa app. Or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. Following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre-recorded. What God has designed for leadership in the church, we need to straighten out some things and we need to kind of cut through all of the formalism and the clergy laity type thinking that has come upon the church and understand the very simple design that God has for leadership in the church. And so if I were teaching this in the first century, I wouldn't even have to go through this because it was understood. But in our day and age, there's a lot of confusion about God's design for leadership. So let's deal with that. Who are the men that Paul is referring to? What is the office and function of these men? Who does he really deal with? You see, if we just call them church leaders, that could be kind of confusing to people. If we were to take a poll here and say, what is your understanding of a church leader? We would probably come up with myriad of answers. Ask churchgoers to define a church leader, they might come up with a number of different explanations. For instance, there is a bishop, meaning a superintendent over a district or a denomination. That is one option. Other people would immediately think of a pastor or a deacon or a trustee or an elder, an associate pastor, maybe a youth pastor, an executive committee. What do we mean by a church leader? It could mean any number of things and everybody has their own separate idea of what church leadership means. Usually it depends on the church they were raised in, or their understanding of what people have told them, or various churches they have viewed and observed. Today on Verse by Verse, we are going to look at the simplicity of church leadership in the New Testament. And here to guide us is Pastor Steve Kreloff. Who are these men that Paul refers to in chapter 3? And I feel that before we can ever really deal with the text, we need to understand this. And the reason we do is because after 2,000 years of a lot of people messing up what God has designed for leadership in the church, we need to straighten out some things and we need to kind of cut through all of the formalism and the clergy laity type thinking that has come upon the church and understand the very simple design that God has for leadership in the church. And so if I were teaching this in the first century, I wouldn't even have to go through this because it was understood. But in our day and age, there's a lot of confusion about God's design for leadership. So let's deal with that. Who are the men that Paul is referring to? What is the office and function of these men? Who does he really deal with? You see, if we just call them church leaders, that could be kind of confusing to people. If we were to take a poll here and say, what is your understanding of a church leader? We would probably come up with myriad of answers, many different answers. To the 20th century Christian, when you say church leader, you could mean a number of different things. For instance, you could mean a bishop. 
meaning a superintendent over a district or a denomination. You could mean that. If you say a church leader, some people would immediately think of a pastor or a deacon or a trustee or an elder or an associate pastor, an assistant pastor, a minister, a board, an executive committee. What do we mean by a church leader? It could mean any number of things. And everybody has their own separate idea of what leadership means. It depends on usually the church they were raised in or their understanding of what people have told them or what churches they have viewed and observed and so forth. The Bible refers to only two offices in the church. Only two. The Bible refers to the office of an overseer and the office of a deacon. And that's what Paul is concerned with in 1 Timothy 3. He's concerned with those two offices. In fact, in verses 1 through 7, he deals with overseers. And in verses 8 through 13, he deals with deacons. Now, some believe, and some good Bible teachers believe, that in verse 11, he is referring to deaconesses. When he says, women likewise must be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Some would say that in addition to male deacons, there were female deaconesses. We'll deal with that when we get to it. For what we're understanding now, there are two offices in the church overseers and deacons. These are the only church offices that the New Testament mentions. You'll turn to Philippians chapter 1. You'll see some evidence of that. Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. The only New Testament letter written to a church that starts off like this. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including The what? Overseers and the deacons. It may say in your Bible, bishops. That is a synonymous term. Overseers or bishops and deacons. Now, I really believe that we have complicated things so much in trying to figure out church leadership that we've really complicated things and made a mess of it. But the New Testament is rather simple in its teaching on leadership for the church. So let's explore a little bit about the simplicity of this approach. Who are the overseers? That's what Paul calls them in chapter 3 of 1 Timothy. The Greek word for overseer, and I don't want to just say a Greek word just to let you know the Greek word, but I usually mention the Greek word if it will help you in understanding the concept. It is the Greek word episkopos. We get our English word episcopalian from that, and it's a makeup of two words, epi meaning over and scope to see or to watch. And so you put that together, and it means one who watches over the church. That's what an overseer is. Some translate this bishop, and that's why you have the Episcopalian church, which has a bishop over many other churches, kind of a superintendent called the bishop over a number of other local churches. In fact, one of the past presidents of the Moody Bible Institute, William Colbertson, was the bishop of a very fundamental Episcopalian group called the Reformed Episcopalian Denomination out of Philadelphia. And when he went to Moody, I believe he was dean before he was the president, he had the title of the bishop. And that's the form of government that the Episcopalian Church has. And they get that from this term, an episcopos or an overseer or a bishop. He's one who watches over the affairs of the church. And you can see this in 1 Peter chapter 2. It refers to the Lord Jesus as the bishop or overseer of our souls. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 25. For you were constantly straying like sheep, but now you've returned to the shepherd. And here it's translated in my Bible, guardian of your souls. But it means the bishop or the overseer, the episcopos. 
He is the overseer of our souls. He lovingly watches over us. Now, what makes it difficult for us to grasp this concept, I believe, in the 20th century, is because after the apostles died, the church began to change the idea of a group of equals called overseers. And that was God's pattern and intention. A group of equals called overseers. They began to change that to one man who was over the overseers. And he was called the bishop. Now, why that developed, I don't know. I'm not sure, but it developed. And so in our minds, when we think of a bishop, at least when I think of a bishop, I think of a fellow with a big collar up here and he's got a robe and he has a clerical title and so forth. And he is what we would call the official clergy. He is perhaps called the right reverend or whatever the wrong reverend. I don't know, whatever reverend he wants to be called. And so in our minds, when we think of an overseer or a bishop, we have that connotation. But the Bible never intends for us to have that connotation. That's a corruption that took place after the apostles died. In fact, we begin to see that rising in the church in 3 John when John mentions a man by the name of Diotrephes, who he said loved to have first place. In other words, he loved to be prominent. He even went up against John. And John says, when I get there, I'll deal with him. And you see, even at that time, human nature began to seek a type of situation in which one man dominated and ruled the church and others would be under him. But even the term overseer implies that no one but Christ is over the overseers. So New Testament leadership was placed into the hands of men, a plurality of men called overseers in a local church. But you might be thinking, wait a minute. We read in the New Testament about elders. Who are they? And we call our leaders here elders. If the overseers were the ones who had the oversight of the church, then what do the elders do? Well, the overseers and elders are the same group of men. The same group of men. Sometimes the New Testament calls them overseers, and sometimes the New Testament calls them elders. It all depends. It depends what the context is and what the writer wants to emphasize. For instance, back in Acts chapter 20, I want you to turn there. It's very important. This is a critical passage. Acts chapter 20, verse 17. It's very important for people to understand this. I'm not sure everybody understands this. In our church, you ought to understand this. It is critical. You say, well, but I'm not an elder. I'm not an over. But listen, you have the responsibility of evaluating the elders and the overseers. So you do have a part in it. In Acts chapter 20, verse 17, Paul says this, And from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called to him who? The elders of the church. Okay, so keep in your mind, these men are the elders. But jump down to verse 28 and we read this, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you what? Overseers or bishops. So the elders in verse 17 are the same men who are the overseers in verse 28. An elder is an overseer. An overseer is an elder. In Titus chapter 1, verse 5, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you might set in order what remains and appoint two elders. Titus is left there to appoint elders. But when we get to verse 7, he says, For the overseer must be above reproach. Has he shifted gears at this point? Is he now dealing with overseers and not elders? No. An elder and an overseer are used synonymously. There is no difference between them. You say, well, why would one be used and not the other? Well, because the term elder gives us more insight into the kind of leadership that God has designed for the church. The term elder means older, mature, and it has its derivative somewhat in the Old Testament that there were a group of mature men. There was a council. There were community leaders who protected, who governed and administered justice in Israel called 
elders. But I don't think that the New Testament elders were the same as the Old Testament elders. Remember when Moses was really making himself sick, working so hard, and his father-in-law Jethro said, look, Moses, you can't do this all by yourself. You can't administer all by yourself. You've got to have people under you. Well, the men who came out of the ranks of Israel became a group called the elders of Israel. And you see this concept throughout the Old Testament. That is not to say that it's the same thing as the elders in the New Testament. They were different. They reported to a man. They reported to Moses in that case and Joshua. The elders in the New Testament report to one person, and that is Christ himself. But at least the concept of the term older and mature is derived from the Old Testament. These were men who gave in the Old Testament counsel to even kings and to prophets. So they were noted for their wisdom, for their wise counsel, for their maturity. In the New Testament, it refers to a men who evidence spiritual maturity. In the Old Testament, there is no age limit given. And in the New Testament, there is no age limit given. It just is referring to men who, by evidence of their walk, evidence of spiritual maturity. And so the term elder, when it's used, emphasizes the character of these men. Mature. Solid, wise. The term overseer emphasizes the function of those who lead. They are to watch over the church. And so the writers will use these terms emphasizing something else. Elders used character. Overseers used function. You say, but wait a minute, where does the word pastor come in? I mean, you are a pastor, right? I mean, your title says pastor teacher. And, and some people go, pastor, where does that come in? A pastor is a shepherd. The Greek word really should be translated shepherd. The only time it's translated pastor, which confuses people, is in Ephesians chapter 4. Now, I don't know why it was translated that way. It is literally shepherd. Poimeno is shepherd. Are pastors different than elders and overseers? Absolutely not. And I think this is where most of us would have confusion. Absolutely not. Most churches would say yes. Most churches would say yes. And their leadership board would consist of a pastor over the elders. Sort of like you'd have a president. I would be considered the president. And then there would be a board of vice presidents. That is not New Testament leadership. That is not what the New Testament teaches. Some people view the pastor as the official ordained professional clergy and the others would be called lay elders. The Bible doesn't even use the term laity. It doesn't use the term clergy. Those things are attached over the years. Sometimes this man is called the senior pastor implying that he is over the others. But the New Testament does not teach that. It does not teach that. In Acts chapter 20, verse 17, we know that these men are called elders. But in verse 28 of that same chapter, not only does Paul say, God has given you oversight, he says, shepherd the flock. So you put that together, the elder is an overseer who's also a pastor. These were the pastors of the church. It'd be kind of silly for Paul to write to the Philippians and say, I'm writing to the whole church and also the overseers and the deacons and to forget the pastors. Wouldn't that be absurd? Reason being, he didn't forget the pastors. The overseers are the pastors. So you have all of this coming together. In 1 Peter, let me just show you one other passage of Scripture. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Peter says, Therefore I exhort the elders, plural, among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that's to be revealed. Watch this. He says to the elders, shepherd the flock of God. Why? Because the elders are also the pastors. Sometimes the men are called elders, emphasizing their character. Sometimes they're called overseers, emphasizing what they do. They watch over the church. Sometimes they're called pastors, emphasizing the ministry of feeding and protecting the flock. 
So the New Testament is very clear. It's really not left up to debate. It's very clear. Pastors, elders, overseers are all the same, emphasizing various aspects of leadership in the church. I am a pastor, which means that I lead, I feed, I protect, I care for the flock. I am an elder, which means I have some measure of spiritual maturity. I am an overseer, which means I watch over the affairs of the church. But I don't do this independent of the other men called elders, overseers, and pastors. We share the responsibility. We share the leadership. I am not over them in any way. I am not the president and they the vice presidents or the junior executives. That's not the way it works. It's not the New Testament teaching on that. Everywhere in the New Testament scriptures refers to an elder, refers to them as a group, as a plural, multiple type of situation. The only time it does not is when a man is referring to himself as an elder. For instance, John might say, John the elder. Or Peter says, I'm writing to the elders as a fellow elder. Obviously, he's not going to say as a fellow elders. But when the Bible refers to leadership, it refers to it in a plural sense. All through the book of Acts, Paul is starting and founding and nurturing churches that he ordains elders. In James chapter 5, if anyone is really sick, let him call for the elders of the church. In Hebrews chapter 13, they are to look to the leaders, those who led you, plurality, all throughout the New Testament. And so there is no one person, no bishop, no senior pastor, no overseer over the overseers. There is Christ over the leadership, over the pastors, and they are to lovingly guide and direct and lead the church. That's the pattern and that's the norm for the church. The church is to be led not just by men, but by godly men, by mature men, by men who have met the qualifications to oversee the church and to lead it and to shepherd it, and men who are qualified. But that obviously was not taking place at Ephesus, and that's the point. That obviously wasn't going on there, and so Paul has to write Timothy and says, I want you to set things in order. I want you to get those men back on the track. I want them to have a standard of the church by which it evaluates its leadership. And those who don't cut it and those who are not living like this ought to be off from leadership and ought to be disciplined if there is immorality and continual sin in their life. Leadership is the number one critical issue of the church. I say that without any hesitation and without any question that I could be debated on that issue and someone would win. The issue today that is most pressing on every fundamental local church is leadership. Ungodly leaders mean an ungodly church. And I'm not talking now just about immorality. I'm talking about men who are ungodly in the sense that they don't meet the godly qualifications. Men who may be faithful in their attendance, who may on the outside look fine, but they're just not leadership material at this point in their life. That will corrupt the church. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 5, he says to the elders, to the pastors, he says, you are to serve as examples to the flock. You know why God has leaders in his church? One reason, not the only reason, but leadership is to be godly because they serve as a model in character and conduct for everybody else. That's why it is so critical. They are certainly not perfect men. They are certainly not men who have never done anything wrong in their lives. If you want to know about me, just ask my wife. Really don't do that. Okay, you'll be here a long time. Okay, but it does not mean that a leader is perfect. But it does mean that he has a measure of spiritual maturity and godliness 
which would allow him to lead the church in a proper way. And he is to be a model to the church. He is to be a model in character and conduct. In the Old Testament, when an Old Testament king was bad and sinned, the people always followed suit. When there was a godly king, the people followed suit. The Old Testament says, as priests, as people. Whatever the priests were like, the people were like. And so leadership is the critical issue. You can handle a lot of problems in the church, but if leadership is corrupt, you can't handle anything except dealing with that very issue of leadership. For instance, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, if an elder isn't hospitable, what would that mean to the church? It means the church won't be either. If an elder doesn't open his home and have love for strangers, then the church is most likely going to be very cold and very exclusive and unto themselves and not care about people outside the church. If an elder loves money, which that's one of the qualifications, not to love money, then it's very likely that the church will have problems in that area too. Perhaps they will only play up to rich folks. I just recently heard of a pastor who does that. It's very obvious that he loves to have rich folks in his church, and the church is going to be like that. It's going to be an exclusive type of social club. Maybe the church will exploit people. Maybe the church will want to put people in prominent roles in society in positions, because if the elders don't lead in not loving money, then how can you expect the church to be pure in that area? If an elder isn't sensible and balanced and self-controlled, his judgments will reflect a disorganized, aimless, and extremist views, and most likely the church will be just like that. You know of churches that are extremist. They're militant. They're rude. And they are simply a reflection of their leadership. Let me give you an example of that. I remember years ago speaking to a friend of mine who went to a church I'll not mention the church or the pastor. If I did, you would probably know who I'm talking about and agree. But in this church, and specifically in this pastor's view of the ministry, numbers was very important. Very important. They publicized how many they had in Sunday school, on church buses and things. It was very, very prominent in the church, how many they had and so forth. This young man was greatly influenced by this pastor. You know what he said to me? He said, Steve... When I think about it, he said, I close my eyes and I can see I'm preaching to thousands. And he said, I just close my eyes and I imagine that. And I, that's all he thought of the ministry, preaching to thousands. I don't know if he's preaching to one today. I don't know. But that was his view of the ministry. Where did he pick that up? From the pastor, from the leaders. Whatever the leadership is like, the church is going to be like that too. It's always going to be like that. So as we go through 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, we're going to look at two items concerning church leadership. This has really been just an introduction. The two items are this. Number one, in verse 1, we're going to look at the significance of church leadership. Paul says it's a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of an overseer, it's a fine work he desires to do. The point of that being it's an important work. It's a significant work. And in that verse, he's also going to deal with the calling of men into leadership position. And then from verses 2 through 7, we will look carefully and closely at the qualifications that God has for leaders. Let's bow for prayer. Father, we know that we are about to embark upon a very, very important subject to study. Lord, may it really have an impact on our church. Lord, I want the folks here to hold the leadership accountable, that we might be men of God. I need that accountability. I need people who love me enough to be able to say when there are things that in my life do not seem to be right. I need that. And I know that your desire for Lakeside is to have the most godly leaders 
to carry forth the work of guiding and shepherding your church. This is not just another organization. This is not just another family. This is the household of God. This is the church that Christ has purchased with his blood. This is to carry on the work that Christ began, and we pray that you'll help us to take heed to what the Spirit of God has to say and had to say to the church at Ephesus and by application says to us. And not only for the elders, but also for the deacons. We pray, Father, that we might be the men of God you want us to be, and that out of this congregation would come more elders and more deacons, qualified, godly, mature, pure, that we might lead this church to deeper levels and paths of righteousness than ever before. For we pray this in Christ's name. When we introduced this series, I asked the question, why do we need to understand New Testament church leadership? I think we are starting to see the reason. As the leadership goes, so goes the church. If an elder isn't sensible and balanced in self-control, his judgments will reflect in disorganized, aimless, and extremist views. And most likely, the church will be just that. You know churches that are extremists. They're militant. They're rude. They're simply a reflection of their leadership. Therefore, it is important that those of us who sit in the pews need to understand what the Bible says about church leadership. As Pastor Steve continues with this series, God's Standards for Church Leadership, we will learn what the Bible says, and we will also be able to identify and appreciate biblical leadership. I hope you can join us on the next Verse by Verse as we continue to study 1 Timothy chapter 3. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.